thank you for coming, everybody. Great to see you all. An account given by Sanjaya to Dhrucharashtra. Sanjaya has uh, attained by the mercy of his guru the ability to see what's going on at the Battle of Kukshetra. And he's watching it, although he's at a distance, and he's relating to Dhritarashtra, whose sons are in the battle, a hundred sons. And he's at least as wrapped up in that as people in the Giants-Dodger game, or Pakistan and India, maybe not as much as that, um, playing in a soccer match because his sons are in the match, which is a kind of parallel because the beginning of the Bhagavad Gita gives an indication where he says that he's asking, how are my sons and the sons of Pandu doing? Which is a giveaway to those whose ears are sensitized to the way that people see the world. And the way that uh, those who are self-realized and give commentary on this put it is that he's making a distinction between his sons and others. And this is what Krishna talks about in the Bhagavad Gita as being a kind of distorted vision. Later in the Bhagavad Gita, Krishna says, People who are overcome by the illusory conception of life due to identifying with matter, although they're not matter, they're spirit, have this sense of attraction and aversion. They like those things that are in relationship to their body and other things not as much. So as Sanjaya is describing What's happening on the battlefield, he explains how Krishna and Arjuna pull into the center of the armies, that is, in between the two armies that are faced off at Kukshetra. And Arjuna, who's the greatest warrior of the time, and who has a duty to do as a soldier to fight for dharma, for righteousness, to uphold because the kingdom had been stolen. And now at the last minute, he came up with a lot of reasons why he didn't want to fight. And a lot of them sound pretty valid. That uh, I have to fight against my family members and also war, you know, what happens? People die and then there's families get disrupted and then that spreads out into society and it has a ripple effect for many generations it can be catastrophic and then struggling with the idea of fighting or not fighting but then out of weakness of heart deciding i just won't do it and dropping his famed bow and arrow on the ground and proclaiming to his friend Krishna who's driving his chariot for him who as it turns out is his teacher of course he's everyone's teacher because he's revealed in the Bhagavad Gita as the supreme a supreme personality of Godhead God has a personal form and he's uh, able to go wherever he wishes and befriend whomever he wishes. So Arjuna is one of his friends. And so Arjuna then turns to Krishna. He has this sense that I need help. And he says, please tell me what I should do. What's my duty in this case? And he adds that I'm a soul surrendered unto you. I give up. And you're going to have to guide me. So at that point, Krishna smiles and tells Arjuna that 
although it sounds like you're very learned because you're giving a lot of reasons that sound good and would sound good to many people, you're actually fool number one. I got that term from my teacher Prabhupada. Prabhupada used to use this term, fool number one. <laughs> what order of foolishness are you with? Number one, I'm top on the list. And because he says that, does Krishna, although it sounds like you're a learned person, you've actually missed the whole point. The whole point of life and the whole point of philosophy and the whole point of work and action and everything else. Because you and I are eternal. We're not our bodies. And we're in material bodies temporarily in which we are forced by the modes of material nature to act in certain ways. And we can't really stop working. He tells Arjuna, whose idea it was to give up the fight and perhaps go to the forest like a monk and just beg or wait for people to give him something. So that way I won't have to be involved in this. But Krishna says you'll be involved anyway. You'll be forced by your nature to act as a soldier. That's, that's who you are. And then he points out, does Krishna, that if you fight this war on my instruction, you're taking it from my authority that you should fight. Because I want you to fight. Because Krishna had a, an agenda. He wanted to restore the harmony in the world with righteous principles so that people could flourish. And at that particular time in history, there was an unusual buildup of very de demoniac types of people and kings. So Krishna had his plan. What's more, it was a righteous war. He had to fight for his brother, who was to be the king. But in any case, Krishna is the supreme, and he says you should fight. So then he gives, throughout the whole Bhagavad Gita, many reasons why Arjuna should fight, and at the end he says that I've given you every good reason there is. Now you can decide for yourself. That you have free will. You can fight or not fight. One of the main important points that Krishna gives to Arjuna is that if you fight or don't fight for your own reasons, you're going to get a reaction. However, if you take it as your duty to fight based on higher authority, and in this case on my authority that you should fight, and even though you're moving about as a soldier, even if you're killing people, there's no reaction. We could see this in modern contexts also. If a person signs up for the military, goes for training, and then goes to a war, he or she then may face off with an opponent somewhere. And if in the course of doing his or her duty in fighting, he or she kills somebody, they may get a medal. However, if that person comes home in front of the 7-Eleven, says you parked in the wrong place, and kills somebody, they'll go to jail for the rest of their life, at least 25 to life, maybe with no possibility of parole if it was premeditated. So there's a difference in the result of our work depending on how we're aligned. So one of the main instructions Krishna gives throughout the Bhagavad Gita is that we're part and parcel of the Supreme. We have the same characteristics, although we're tiny and helpless. We're dependent. Even though we're conscious living beings and we have the same qualities as the Supreme Soul, Krishna. 
if we, and Prabhupada used this term frequently, dovetail, which means to fit into a, a particular joint very um, snugly. You can, it holds in there a wedge. It's the wedge principle. Where if we dovetail our desire with the desire of the Supreme, then as we work and move about in the world, uh, we incur no uh, karmic reaction. And this is called akarma. Karma means that I work and because of whatever I work, whatever I do in this world, for instance, if I give in charity, then on, on my own behalf, I'm giving some charity. Then in my next life, I have to accept that charity. It's, it's actually a burden. Because I have to wait. And it's like, okay, now you're going to get it back. I don't want it. No, you have to take it. <laughs> but I can't take it because if I take it, I'll be over my tax limit. It's like, no, you have to take it anyway. And if you, if you steal something from someone in this life, you don't get away with it. In this or the next life, then that has, in the same proportion or with interest, it has to be taken back from you. If you're a bank teller, you can count millions of dollars in a day. But if you take $1 out of the stack and think, I need a pack of gum, You'll lose your job and you'll be infamous in the industry. No one will take you for one dollar. You'll never be hired again. So the principle holds in modern context, in the context of our lives. And on a spiritual level, those who align themselves with the will of the Supreme then uh, work in a productive way. Productive means that not only do those workers not become entangled in the actions and reactions of karma and have to be bound to this world, but they also develop a, a consciousness of the Supreme that can become uh, more and more intimate. And this is one of the teachings of bhakti, that it's not that we just try to survive in this world by avoiding karma, but we actually have a positive relationship with the Supreme. It is our natural constitutional position to have a loving relationship with the Supreme Personality of Godhead. And by working, using our present senses to serve the Supreme, the senses become purified. And then gradually, uh, the natural propensity to love becomes reposed in the supreme object of love, Krishna. And this is our positive life. Beyond karma and beyond avoiding karma, we have a positive life to live, which is love for Krishna. So. There are various paths, but before one takes a path, one should ask the question, what is my goal? Because each path takes one to a particular goal. For instance, the path of karma is a path through which one figures out how to manipulate the laws of nature and therefore elevate oneself materially in this world, which never works out because ultimately, as Krishna says in the Bhagavad Gita, Brahma Bhuvana Luka Punar Avartinurjuna, Mamu Petya Tukontea Punar Janmana Vidite. Whatever place you go to in this world, you're still gonna find the same problems. When I went to Japan for the first time, it's such a seemingly mystical place, so different, especially back then when I first went. It was 1979, my first trip to Japan, and somehow I had it in my head that it would be such a different world that maybe there would be no birth, death, and old age and disease. <laughs> Even though I knew that wasn't true, there was some hope. And as I was landing 
in Tokyo. I was waking up from a long trip, looking out the window, and as we got closer to the airport, there was an overpass going over one of the freeways, and I saw an ambulance, two ambulances, uh, speeding over them with the lights going around, and I thought, nah, it's still there. Although it was pretty close, because when I got there, you know, I had some bags, I went right to a, an event, and I said, are these bags okay? And they said, yeah, it's Japan, Not, don't worry. They said, it's 95% safe. And the rest of the night I was thinking about that 5%. <laughs> I said, what about the 5%? <laughs> All my stuff's in there. So wherever we go in this world, whatever kind of arrangement we might make, we'll find that being involved in selfish work, one way or another, binds us to this world, which is not our home, and in which we can never find uh, rest. So then there's jnana, which comes to a conclusion, the path of jnana yoga, which comes to a conclusion that we're not part of this world, we're not part of, we're not the material body, and ultimately the goal of, of jnana is to merge with the Supreme. But that won't satisfy us either because we're eternal particles and we have individuality. And even if we merge into the Supreme, at some point there will awaken in, in us a desire for variety, an attraction for the opposite. And then according to the Srimad Bhagavatam, we will again come looking. And where do we look? Without information of the spiritual world, without having developed an attraction for the Supreme, then we'll look here in Silicon Valley. Can I afford anything here? Wow, it really went up. <laughs> we'll have a, a, a search going on and how long does it last? Forever. We keep looking over and over again. Krishna describes Bahunam, Janmanamante, after millions and millions of births. We never find what we're looking for until someone comes in contact with bhakti and then realizes the, the path of the positive, which means we actually have an object of affection. We have a, a way to use all of our senses in a positive way that is... Non, not only non-reactive, but actually, which purifies the senses and gives us the sense of happiness and joy that we're, we've always been looking for, but never gotten in this world. It's always a little bit out of reach or a lot out of reach. Nowadays, a lot out of reach. So in the path of bhakti, once one takes to the path, which means to chant Hare Krishna, to read Bhagavad Gita, Srimad Bhagavatam, and to use one's uh, work, whatever work one's doing in service of the Supreme. Then one enters into uh, a life of auspiciousness and also becomes free from distress. These are the first two symptoms when one gives one's full attention to bhakti. One becomes free from distress. So why do we become free from distress? Because distress is caused by karmic reaction. Because I'm working life after life in this world, and I'm working imperfectly because I'm not aligned with the Supreme. I haven't dovetailed my desire perfectly with the Supreme. I want something for myself. It's Kumbh Mela. Therefore, I get the reaction again and again and I'm disappointed. But as soon as one takes to the path of, of bhakti, then all karma, including prarabdha karma, means the karma that is manifest as this body and this particular mind that I have now, is removed. This is pointed out in the Bhagavad Purana, especially in two verses given by Devahuti, who's 
says, Yanamadeha Shravanan Kirtanad, Yet Pravanad, Yet Shravanad Api Kuchit, Swadyob Pisadya Savanaya Kalpate, Kutak Pudaste Bhagavanu Darshanat. That when one takes to the direct process of worshipping the Supreme through Bhakti, especially by hearing and chanting the methods that I just mentioned before, what, what were they? Chanting Hare Krishna, reading Srimad Bhagavatam, Bhagavad Gita, and dedicating one's work to the Supreme. Then such a person becomes qualified to perform Vedic sacrifices. What that means in this verse is that the prarabdha karma that comes along with this material body is, di is diminished to the degree that one is no longer contaminated by the material world is considered on the spiritual platform. And then she gives another verse saying that, oh, how wonderful it is, uh, that even if you're doing bhakti a little bit with feeling, then the karma will be destroyed. And auspiciousness means that one actually knows what the purpose of life is and is able to share it with all other living beings. And that means that we feel actually satisfied as we move about in the world because we know what to do. We also know what not to do. And meanwhile, the karma is being the karma that we've accrued after many lifetimes, including this present material body, that karma is destroyed. And now we have a new life in which our objective is completely different than it was while I was engaged in looking for happiness in the material world. For instance, Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu says, Nadanam Najanam Nasundarim, Kavitam Vajagadisha Kamai, Mama Janmani Janmani Shvare, Bhavatad Bhakti Rahaituki Twai. He gives the mentality of someone who's entered onto the path of bhakti, which is, I don't want anything anymore from this world. It's not a matter of restraint. Just like a child who's active, children are active by nature. And if you ask the child to sit for one minute, and I'll give you a comic book, he can't do it. Very difficult. He'll break down at 47 seconds. They give me the comic book. No, that was 47 seconds. <laughs> and so until there's a, a sense of engagement of the senses in which we have a higher taste for, for Krishna, we're always holding back, restraining the senses. And at any time, they can run loose and go after their objects again. So in the Bhagavad Gita, Krishna says, Vishya vinivartante nirahara sadehina. If you take to the practice of bhakti yoga, then the senses become purified and you get a higher taste. Everyone wonders, how could you possibly give up uh, the objects of the senses? People used to tell us all the time when we were young, uh, people at, for instance, at the airport, I grew, up, I grew up in an airport, raised by wolves in an airport. So, uh, you know, people all the time would see us selling Bhagavad Gita and so forth, and they come and say, like, why are you wasting your life? You're young. You should be having fun. You know, it's like, we are having fun. You want to take a book? Uh, <laughs> but when they saw her lifestyle, like, why are, you, why are you foregoing all sense pleasure from this material world? But we didn't feel like we were undergoing, uh, foregoing anything because we were enjoying the kirtan, we were enjoying the prasadam, we were enjoying the camaraderie, and we actually had knowledge. We were on a path, and still are, in which we feel the connection to the Supreme at every minute through our whatever it is, through our work, through even taking care of the body in the day because when you're dedicated to the path of bhakti, even as you're taking care of your car, you're taking care of your body, 
as I like to say before I go through the shower, I'm going through the car wash, that there's, you know, there's a purpose behind it. You're taking care of whatever energy you have and the senses you have in order to serve Krishna. So it's a life of complete uh, auspiciousness and freedom from connection to the modes of nature and therefore no longer interested in these things of the world except to use them as paraphernalia and service as much as possible. So this is the way that one can become happy and free, what everyone's looking for by getting more money. There's never a point at which you get enough money. It's never enough to free you. In fact, then it starts becoming an attachment that binds you to the material world. You get enough money, and you'll be looking at it all the time. How's it doing now? Oh, the stock market's down. Now where did it go? Can we get it back? Uh, is it going to come back? Uh, is the, this is the constant concern in this world as how to preserve what I have. And it's not possible to preserve it, therefore I'm always in anxiety. True? Yes. To some degree? So Bhakti solves all that. Even the wealthiest, most successful people in the world, the Goswamis of Vrindavan, are described. Everyone say Tuchavat. It means, eh. <laughs> they had billions of dollars. They had position power. Most people want to preserve power. You know, Michelle's law of uh, iron laws of oligarchy say that as soon as a person, an ordinary person, attains power, he or she then uses all the energy to preserve the power instead of to do their duty. Because power is so uh, intoxicating in the material sense that you don't want to lose it. So there's everything to lose in the material world, and we will lose it, and everything to gain from practicing bhakti yoga. So anyone can practice this, uh, use their entire life. There's no entry fee, and you can start from whatever position you're in now, which means that if you're a young person, how old, what is the entry level that you can enter at in bhakti? The age level. You can enter it when you're in the womb. So how old is that? Zero years old, I think, because I heard one of the, um, the, the, the women from ISV telling somebody that you know, the child started from zero years old doing bhakti because child in the womb can hear the transcendental vibration. So that's a pretty low end, uh, age limit to enter, right? Zero? Pretty low. Zero years old. How long have you been practicing this? Since I was zero. <laughs> and if you're old, can you start bhakti when you're old? Yeah, you could start bhakti when you're old. Uh, you can start bhakti, what if you're rich? What if you're poor? You live in a house. You live in a van. So any place, any time, whatever situation one's in, one can take to the process of bhakti and get the same result as anybody anywhere else. Whereas that's not true in the material world. It's an uneven playing field because of the karma we have. You always feel like, I'm going to catch up to the next guy because it seems unfair. Although it is fair because there's a higher law that's organizing everything in this material world. Even the cheaters are cheating those who cheated them previously. Although that's hard to understand. Krishna says in the Bhagavad Gita, he just gives a preliminary understanding of that. So take to bhakti. This uh, international site for Krishna consciousness is designed to give everyone uh, a fast track in bhakti. You get association with others who are doing the process. You get a free, um, a free string of beads thrown in. Don't you? It's free. I got mine free when I joined. They said, here, here's some beads. Like, free? Free gift? <laughs> Mantra? Free? 
free of charge. Prasadam, free, everything free. It's all free. Um, like Nitai Kirtan Bihari said, everything no. <laughs> <laughs> so we are everything free <laughs> and material world everything no it's simple philosophy <laughs> so if you take a little prasadam and engage your senses for Krishna's service even if you're wrapped up right now in a lot of work and it doesn't seem like it's possible to get out just start with the mood that I'm doing this for Krishna and chant Hare Krishna a little bit and take prasadam and then the senses will become purified and you'll become happy and successful. We guarantee it or your money back from all the, all the free stuff. So <laughs> <laughs> let's see if there's a few reflections. Anybody have a, a, a sentence or a concept that they, he or she heard that you want to reflect back? Yes, one, two. Go ahead, you got the mic start. Oh, that's all right. Hare Krishna Maharaj. I think you made several uh, wonderful points about bhakti, but one thing that really caught my attention was, you know, distress. Because a lot of people, when I talk to them, right, they say, like, you know, I need to do this, you know, it's a stress buster and stuff like that. But <laughs> you really enforce the point that, hey, bhakti is a stress buster as well. Uh, so I like that point, Maharaj. But and then several other points you mentioned. You know, it'd be yeah. Let's just talk about that because yeah. it's an important point. Uh, stress and de-stress come as concomitants in this world, and one of the ways to rise above it, Krishna talks about this in the Bhagavad Gita, is learn to tolerate the distresses of this world because, along with the body, there's a natural way in which distress will come. However, Part of this idea that one becomes free from karma in the present body, karma really is in the mind because we have impressions in our mind due to our previous work that when carried over into the present life impel us to work in a particular way. We feel as if by force we're having to act in certain ways. And that's true. However, the way in which karma is diminished in our present body is that our ability to rise above the urges of the senses becomes more and more strengthened by the process of, of bhakti. And so even while we're living in a material body, Krishna says, Raga dvesha vimuktaistu vishayan indriyaischaran atmavasharavadeyatmavaprasadamarigachati. You may be living in a material body that has all kinds of requirements, just like everyone else, and it may seem that you're moving about the world like everyone else, but because you're following the regulative principles that free you, then your experience is completely different, and that's described by Krishna in the fifth chapter, I believe, where he says, um, what is the verse I'm thinking in my mind? About the Anaiva Kinshit Karomiti Yukto Manyeta Tatvavit Pashan Shrinvan Spasan Jigran Ashnan Gachan Sopan Sasan Pralapan Vishrinangrinan Unmishan Nimishan Napi Indriandindriarteshu Vartan Itidarayan. It means a person, although in this present body, in which the movements of the senses are still going on, doesn't identify with them at all. He or she sees that I'm moving about, I'm grasping, I'm seeing, I'm accepting, I'm eliminating, whatever it may be, there's the workings of the body going on, but I'm not part of them. This is how a person sees the his or her interaction with the material body and the stress comes from identifying I am this body and identifying with 
the movements of the body, the pains of the body, and so forth. But that's no longer the case for somebody who is engaged in devotional service and has risen above the bodily conception of life. So the stress is uh, not material stress. Although people in spiritual practice, they have a sense of stress because they, uh, but it's spiritual. They have a desire to advance and to do more service. And then they're giving themselves wholeheartedly to that process. Just like today, I had a couple of conference calls with devotees from different parts of the world who participated in the last campaign called Badra. And all of them across the world, last night we talked to Oceania and this morning we talked to North America and Europe, were saying that when they set goals for distributing a certain number of Srimad Bhagavatam sets, they felt anxious about it. And then even though we were very successful this year for Bhadra, they were already feeling anxious because they thought we did so big last year, then now how are we going to do it again next year? So it's not that in bhakti there's no anxiousness, but it's a different kind of angst. It's angst that's dovetailed with Krishna's desire. We're anxious for Krishna, not for ourselves. And so the stress is different. Prabhupada once pointed out the Yashoda, Krishna's mother. She's always anxious because Krishna, as a child, is running here, there, and everywhere. And she's thinking, what kind of trouble is he going to get into? And so a mother knows there's constant anxiety for the child's welfare, right? So that's there in the spiritual world, but it's spiritual anxiety, not material. You had a point. Same exact point? Wow, that's pretty good. It must be going around. Okay. Hare Krishna Maharaj. I, I like the point of auspiciousness that you brought about. Usually in material sense, auspiciousness is always associated with more money kind of things. But I loved it. I was very eager to hear and then you said auspiciousness means something that, you know, gives us the goal of life and passing it to others. Yes, and, yeah. and also the wherewithal to do good for all living beings. This is one of the aspects of auspiciousness that Rupa Goswami mentions in the Bhakti Rasamrita Sindhu, that we actually have work to do that does good for others. There's a sense in the world people want to actually do good for others, but then there may be a profit motive. That's a delimiting factor. Uh, and then also people may not know how to do good for others. And an example that Prabhupada gives often is that if somebody has typhoid fever, you're not supposed to take solid food. Doctors, any doctors in here confirm? Where's all our MDs? Probably out on call. Okay, so typhoid fever, you can't take solid food. I can just make up anything since there's no doctors. You can't take, you can't take solid food. <laughs> so Prabhupada said once in his neighborhood, in Calcutta, he saw that the next door neighbor uh, were having a kerfuffle, a brouhaha. And they were, the mother was chastising the son severely. And Prabhupada found out through their uh, helper that worked in their house what had happened. And that was that the parents had to go out on an emergency. One of the two brothers who lived in that house was sick with typhoid. And they had instructed the younger brother, don't give him any solid food. But thinking that he was doing him a favor because he thought maybe he was hungry, he brought him some paratha. Does anybody know what paratha is? You, you knew? Okay. <laughs> Just the most famous airplane food in the world. Um, <laughs> what are you going to bring on the plane? Paratha. <laughs> and so the the boy who was sick with typhoid ate little paratha and got much sicker and almost died. And when the parents came home and found out, they severely chastised the other brother. And so Prabhupada used this as, as an example. The, the brother thought, oh, I'm doing a favor. But he was actually almost killing his sibling. So in a similar way, if we don't have a clear knowledge about how to help people, although we may exercise our 
propensity to try to help other people, we'll do it in a way that actually in, implicates them more in the material world. It's killing them. So when one's engaged in devotional service, one of the characteristics is that such a person then knows exactly how to help others so that they become free from the cycle of birth and death. And this is one of the definitions of auspiciousness. It's good work if you can get it. Okay, we'll just take two more reflections or question. Yes. Hare Krishna Guru Maharaj. I like the question, uh, the example that you give uh, with a person who is serving in the army and uh, performing uh, the duties, and other who is just like on its own wheel is killing somebody. Like from 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 outside, it looks like the same actions and the same results. But if it's uh, not aligned with the supreme authorities, then it gets like different uh, um, uh, results at the end. So um, the same like when we go alone with Krishna's will, it will be like we don't have to make like mental speculations what is good and what we should do like. Uh, for for others, it it will be naturally coming. Yeah. Yes, if you're in the military, even if you're in the army, you still have to act according to orders because there are cases where people go to a war and then they don't follow orders or they don't follow the protocol and they kill somebody whimsically on the battlefield, uh, like a civilian. These cases took place in the Vietnam War, and there was there were hearings in America to uh, reconcile this. And uh, the people, although they were in the military, they acted on their own whims, and they killed people, and therefore they were banned from the military and also imprisoned, if I remember correctly, uh, what their punishment was. So the path of bhakti and what Krishna mentions in the Bhagavad Gita is make sure you're aligned. This is called buddhi yoga. That you're following tightly what the Supreme wants you to do. And for that, one has to live a cleaner life so you can hear what the Supreme wants you to do. So you have the concentrate, power of concentration to be able to read and also to have the humility to follow those who are following and who can give instruction. And if one has that alignment, then one moves through this world without touching it. That's the, one of the main teachings of the Bhagavad Gita. Otherwise, it's like driving on the 101 freeway with blindfold on, which there's going to be bloodshed. You're going to smash into something. And that's what happens life after life without being connected to the supreme intelligence and following it. Thank you. Okay, last point. Yes. Hare Krishna Maharaj, I really like the point. Uh, so everything is free in spiritual and everything known in material. Um, and, and also like if, um, if you try to use our work and intelligence in alignment with Krishna's service, then we don't need to get, I mean, we can get rid of the karma and all the negativity that we have incurred from uh, birth after birth. Yes. In the Bhagavad Gita, Krishna says, Patram pushpam palam toyam yome bhaktiya priyachati taraham bhaktiuparitam ashnami pariyatatmanaha. He names those items that are free, freely available like a leaf, flower, fruit, water, all those things you can get for free, right? And he says, just take those free things, offer them to me, I'll accept it if you give it with love. And then your life is perfect. So free, free, free. Free, 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 free. Water, er, that's uh, fruit, flower, water, no, fruit, Leaf, flower. So you got to get it right, otherwise you can't do bhakti. Okay, well, let me try again. Patram a leaf, pushpam a flower, toyam water. 
And palam, a fruit. I can join. You don't have to have an IQ. So, you know, these four things are free. You get them for free. But just offer them with love. And if you do that, then you'll be successful. You have a relationship with the Supreme. Bhagavad Gita, you could probably get one for free. People all the time used to steal them from us at the airport because they thought, who are these punks out here selling these books? Some religious fanatics. So we'd show a book and they'd go, thanks, and they'd take it. And it happened a lot. So then we complained to Prabhupada and we said, you know, people are stealing books from us all the time. They said, he said, lucky thief. So now, uh, how about if we try just a little japa together? So japa is a really um, edifying process of bhakti that you can do by yourself, or if you have some family members, you can sit and chant together. And one of the ways to do it is to, uh, it's nice to count how many uh, mantras you chant. So you can hold up your hand like this, and you can count on your fingers if you put your thumb on the middle section of your ring finger. Does everyone have that? I'm going to come around and check and see if you know what your ring finger is. Okay. You <laughs> and then move it down to the bottom of the ring finger. That's position two. So this is one, two. Then the bottom of your little finger is three. Middle of your little finger is four. Top of your little finger is five. Six, seven, eight, nine, ten. What's this? One, two, three, four, five. Five. Very good. My poor wins. Okay, so let's uh, let's chant together thirty mantras. So you're going to count to ten three times, as if you didn't know, and we'll do it together in unison and see how that feels. Okay. So sit up a little straighter than you were a minute ago. And then bring your mind to attention so that you can just focus on the sound vibration of the mantra. Let go of any other concerns that you might have. Let the sounds of the Kumbh Mela next door just flow through you and not disturb you at all. And just be focused like a yogi in the cave in the Himalayas meditating on the supreme okay you ready here we go hare krishna hare krishna 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 hare 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 rama hare rama 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 hare 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 krishna hare krishna 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 hare 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 rama hare rama 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 hare 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 Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Hare Hare, Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Hare Hare. Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Hare Hare, Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Hare Hare. Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Hare Hare, Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Hare Hare, Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Hare Hare, Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Hare Hare, Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna. 
transforms the consciousness, purifies the heart, and Sundar Prabhu, could you stand up just for a minute? If you uh, want to know more about uh, how to chant at home, if you haven't already started practice, then you can see Sundar Ananda just after. He's got a white mask. <laughs> That's how you can find him. Thank you, Prabhu. Uh, Sundar Nanda Prabhu will uh, get you started in a uh, home practice and teach you how to uh, hold beads. You can use your fingers, you can use beads. It's nice to hold the beads and uh, go around the string. There's 108, so you can do 108 mantras. And then if you feel like it, you can go back the other way. Just like swimming laps in a pool, back and forth. Until you find yourself 
carried away by the mantra. And if you can do that every day, until you're carried away by the mantra, then when you go out into the world, or stay in, more likely, and try to deal with the world through Zoom, then you'll find yourself with a broader perspective. That is, you'll see that I'm doing my duty here. Uh, you'll also have a way that you'll feel stronger in controlling your anger, and you'll feel more patient, and, and your relationships, you'll uh, will become noticeably more manageable. These, these are just very preliminary results that you'll get from chanting. What to speak of a sense of knowledge that starts to come through your mind and you'll feel attracted to the chanting as you practice more and more. And then the other uh, practice is uh, reading Bhagavad Gita. So I'll just show you, demonstrate how to read the Bhagavad Gita. So first of all, you got to get one. So if you don't have a Bhagavad Gita, then um, Sundar Nanda Prabhu, can you stand up again? <laughs> See Sundar Nanda Prabhu, and he'll get you a Bhagavad Gita. Okay? Thank you, Prabhu. And here's how you read Bhagavad Gita. You open the book. So first you have to have one. Then you can open it up and read. And the way you can make the reading of the Bhagavad Gita more fruitful is invite uh, others in to, to come and listen. Is there anybody out there that can come in and listen? I don't know if we want to try that. Okay, so here's an example of reading Bhagavad Gita. Are you ready? Yes. Okay. I just let the record show that I opened up randomly, and I just happened to be at the third chapter, 24th verse, and here I go. For if I, Krishna speaking, for if I ever failed to engage in carefully performing prescribed duties, O Partha, certainly all men would follow my path. Purport, in order to keep the balance of social tranquility for progress in spiritual life, there are traditional family usages meant for every civilized man. Although such rules and regulations are for the conditioned souls and not for Lord Krishna, because he descended to establish the principles of religion, he followed the prescribed rules. Otherwise, common men would follow in his footsteps because he is the greatest authority. From the Srimad Bhagavatam, it is understood that Lord Krishna was performing all the religious duties at home and out of home as required of a householder. See? That's how you read Bhagavad Gita. Then... If you have a leaf, a flower, fruit, or water, you can put it in front of a picture of Krishna and say, my dear Lord, please accept this humble offering. And you can offer it like that from your heart. And instead of just grabbing, thrusting your hand into a bag of chips and stuffing them in your mouth while you're looking at a screen, you can instead offer it uh, with heartfelt devotion to a picture of Krishna. Please accept this. And then afterwards, you can taste it, eat it, and you'll be happy. So if you do these three things, you'll be in the mainstream of bhakti. Do japa, do read Bhagavad Gita, offer a leaf, a leaf flower, fruit, or I don't know if I can do this one. <laughs> At least I can offer a leaf to Krishna. And then one last thing is have kirtan as much as possible. So we have a few more minutes and we'll sing a little kirtan together, okay? Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Hare Hare, 
Hare 
प्रेमानंद जिंदा गौ 